seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother. the tutorial number one video game podcast in the minds of the intelligentsia I'm one of your hosts this week bryant uh uh death destroyer of worlds daniels and joining me across the universe on skype is none other than todd einstein fortner what's going on man it's been so long i appreciate the wonderful introduction as einstein my friend man, of we are here to talk about oppenheimer though we are here to talk that that is why the name is relevant. Yeah. It's been a long time since we got a chance to just have some fun and connect on the uh the good old podcast. But when you hit me up and said, Okay, I'm going to see Oppenheimer, you get out of Oppenheimer. What was the first text? Let's see. You said I think I said on, I wait, need a wait. minute. <laughs> like yeah, and I did out saying you need a minute and then it was but that may be the most singular important film of the 21st century. That's yes, yes. And 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 a little over 24 hours later, I still feel the same way. I still feel the same way. I mean that that hasn't changed. Um I'm seeing a lot of reviews on it and I wanted to talk talk some Oppenheimer because of just how important I think this movie actually is. I mean every now and then me and you have talked a lot over time about how pop culture changes culture and how movies can influence the world. And this is one of those movies that I think we listen now or we don't ever listen in the future. And I think that's Nolan's message to the world is it's very much the the way I described it um, is, and I, I've got to pull my notes up here, Todd, because this is, it's, it's too important for me to get the message of the movie correct and not just go off of a whim. So I said an absolute master class in filmmaking. Oppenheimer is a true indictment of the modern age of manipulation and the idea of government-endorsed violence. And that's what it is. It is a true, true master class in an indictment on modern manipulation. And it's not... The beautiful thing about it, too, is Nolan is so subtle with his jabs. He is, he's, he's very much one of these guys who I imagine having a debate with him was probably not a fun experience because he will listen to you the entire time you talk. And then right at the end, he'll ask you the one question that just pulls every little string of your argument apart. And that's what he did with Oppenheimer. That's exactly what he did. And it also preaches against the self-importance of politicians um, there's, 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 there's a beautiful moment. So you've got, you know, of course, Chilean, Killian Murphy as, uh, Oppenheimer himself. Um, Peaky blinders. yeah, Peaky blinders. You've got Robert Downey Jr. In the movie, um, as the politician who essentially considered himself important. He has a lot of self-importance of him, of bringing all mm. these, all these, these masterminds of the world together. Louis Strauss is the politician. And part of the story is being played out. It's his confirmation to join the presidential cabinet by Congress. And there is some controversy in his past dealing with Oppenheimer. And Oppenheimer, and it's also being told in chunks of the past where Oppenheimer came up, 
being told during Oppenheimer's review by a investigative board to determine if he still maintains his security clearance. And then it's being told on the side of Louis Strauss, who's being confirmed before Congress. And it all converges together in one epic final hour. In in an hour that is maybe single-handedly the best hour of filmmaking I've ever seen. I mean, it, it just single-handedly may be the best hour of filmmaking I've ever seen. There's no action in this movie. There's no over-the-top. And we'll talk about robots later. There ain't no robots in this movie. There, there ain't no... There's, there's nothing pretty and distracting. And this is a true film film. That's what I'm going to say. This is the kind of movie that they're going to study 50 years from now. And go, how did they do this? How, how, what was the message? What was the subtext? What was, this is one that will revel in being broken down over the years to come. And let me tell you, we need to listen to Nolan right now. We need to listen. Mm. I'm hearing about the Pacific ocean lighting on fire, like being, being too hot for the world. I'm hearing about Russia and Ukraine and, and Nolan simply saying through the message of Oppenheimer is that if, if we humble ourselves before the mission that we feel we have in life, if we humble ourselves and get rid of our self-importance, can you imagine what we can do as a society? Could you imagine what we could do as a world that actually comes together for a mission? Because the scientists that build this little town and are responsible for the, as we all know now, the Manhattan Project, they all have their moral qualms and objectives and, you know, they all have their concerns, but every one of them is there to fulfill a mission. And they cast aside their self-importance and they cast aside their their issues and they 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 complete the mission, but at the same time, they go, yeah, but now that we're done with it, you're not really going to do this, are you? That's, that's kind of the whole, like, cast aside your importance because what gets in the way is the self-importance of congressional members and you know people going well yeah but we need to send a message to the world but why and that's a big question that gets asked a lot is but why what's what's the point of this and you realize that some of these actions later on in the film taken by members of congress and the war committee it, it, you really sit there and Louis Strauss himself and you ask yourself, but all that ended up being futile anyway. All of that ended up being, you know, pointless. All you did was hurt people through your actions. It's beautiful. Todd. I've never, I'll put it like this. And my mind's everywhere on this film, but really the, the, the reality is, is that the film is summarized by one final scene. It is summarized by the final scene and the final scene, I will not ruin that for anybody until you had to see it. The final scene left me breathless. It left the entire audience speechless. And it left me to the point where I'm hearing people sigh in the audience. And as I'm leaving the theater, I'm trying to hold back tears because of how powerful wow. the moment was. It was just this little quiet moment. There's no epic music. There's no sweeping score. There's no big action sequence. It is a conversation between two men, two real life previously existing men. And the words they say, which were documented and apparently was true. The words that they say are so powerful that you can't help but be left. It shook 
I mean, just absolutely shaken to the core. That's where I was at the end of Oppenheimer. Like, it is just amazing. It's it's breathtaking. I mean, that was the point when I said, okay, you know, I, I think it would be wise to get your thoughts on it. Just with your previous history with just general movie reviews and, and the type of, you know, entertainment that you generally enjoy. And I hadn't gotten a chance to see it yet, and I've been on the fence of a three-hour dialogue-heavy mm-hmm. movie where I'm a Christopher Nolan fan. I mean, a Batman, Christopher, Christian Bale series, of course, some of my favorite. Um, Inception, I didn't see in the movie theaters, but it's always that, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I, as much as I want to see it, because I first saw the trailers, and I actually went down like a four-hour YouTube rabbit hole of just revisiting 1945 and that whole era with the actual atomic bomb and Manhattan theory and reminding myself of even who Oppenheimer was and just that period in time and Eisenhower Mm -hmm. just the history of the country and then I think when you were telling me about how it made you feel I I think one of my first questions I asked you was uh, do you think it's relevant to today's like geo political environment and like you said what's going on in the world with Russia and the Ukraine war and just kind of the birth of the podcast anyway and the podcast side like I know we're doing the YouTube thing live and everything and that's cool but it's uh it's uh just relevance as far as like even on a heavier level than like a top gun last year like it's kind of getting is it kind of getting obvious that these are like messages in a direction in cinema for America specifically. Like we need to go not only to send a message to our people, but just to the broader scale world. Yeah. Like it's a good down home propagandized film. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, 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 for me, this was less propaganda than Top Gun for sure. This was more a message to the world of, hey, stop acting like you're the only one. You're not the only people that live here. Everybody lives here. We, we, they, they brought this up in the movie in a great conversation. Um, and it's between Matt Damon and Killian Murphy. By the way, Matt Damon killed it. Slayed it. See, that's Slayed I'm it. I'm glad you brought that up because that's who I'm curious to see. Yeah. And like his, his role as a general. Yeah, Matt Damon killed it. But there's a conversation between Matt Damon and Killian Murphy where Matt Damon and him are talking about, you know, little boy and big boy, the, 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 the bombs. Um, and Killian Murphy makes the point. He goes, yeah, but shouldn't we take this type of weaponry? Shouldn't we take this before the world to let us as a human society decide what we're going to do with it? Because it's so dangerous. It's so destructive. And the very American Matt Damon, what, one world government? No, this is America. Like, it, it's very, like... It's very straight to the point. And, you know, they don't, don't get me wrong, they don't really forgive Oppenheimer for who he is because he was, you know, he was a womanizer and he was obsessive compulsive. Like, he was, he's a very crazy, strange, um, he, I guess I was reading somewhere on Reddit, somebody said he did some horrible things. I didn't really get into the details. But that wasn't the point of this movie. Somebody had said, hey, it's, it's a problem. They whitewashed Oppenheimer and what he did. And I'm just like, well, I don't know if they whitewashed it because he clearly showed he had an obsession to solve a problem that he wanted to solve, which was creating this such powerful nuclear energy or this weapon, this atomic weapon. 
and he wants to solve it and he knows how to do it. But it also shows how much rack, how he was racked with the emotions behind it, but it never goes into him crying over it. He's, he's, he doesn't give these big giant sweeping speeches saying we need to change. It's all very subtle. It's all done through and talk about a killer performance from Killian Murphy. If he doesn't get nominated for an Oscar for this, if he doesn't win an Oscar for this for best performance of the year, then they crazy. Cause he is just, he, you spend the entire movie with him. You never, okay. you're never away from him. And then his wife, Kitty played by Emily Blunt. She kills it. Half the time. I didn't even recognize her. Like they had downplayed cause she's a beautiful woman, but they had downplayed her looks and they had really done some muting on how she looked and what that allowed for is you're not seeing Emily Bunn on the screen. You're seeing a very disturbed and distraught woman who is torn between communism and America and torn between supporting her husband who she knows is a womanizer and a cheater. You know what I mean? Like, And it becomes a very subtle performance. And it all, even hers all culminates to this boiling point where she gives probably the best five-minute performance in the entire movie. In one mm. moment. Which turns out was entirely true and is based off of transcripts from a uh, from the board where they were trying to determine if he kept his security clearance. And they were asking her questions. And then Sounds you like know... That was she said moment. Yeah, and then you find out. like That's when you realize, because you're thinking... Why did Oppenheimer marry her? Was it just because he had a kid with her out of wedlock? And then you turn around and find out, oh, he married her because of how intelligent she is. She's brilliant. And I would watch a movie again just based off of... I would watch this movie, but based from her perspective. Like, I would I would see that three-hour movie again. Just That's how good this was. This was... I don't know, man. This this was one of those once in a lifetime movie events that it kind of reminds me of, like when The Sixth Sense came out and everybody was going to see it and talking about it, and you know when The Matrix came out and everybody was going to see it and they were all talking about seeing The Matrix and Titanic when that came out. Well, and everybody, I think yeah. we kind of led into that though, just as far as like the timing of it and the relevance to yeah. the back, like and the rarity of it and how you know you can be real strategic and was some of the filming of this done during the vid time i think like, so i think so you know what i'm saying yeah that's something that i really couldn't like could you tell that did it seem like it was any relevance to it because you could see some movies you could tell that during it was filmed during the vid time and it was a situation where it affected the actual filming itself i don't i hadn't heard anything from anybody to give me any indication that had any effect on like the relevance of it the power of it i'm still hesitant to spend money right now in an environment where it's getting tighter and tighter for three hours worth of movie but the more i hear it from people that i trust i mean primarily like people like you it's a couple other people that's like nah this is actual masterwork it's a 10 out of 10 it's worth it it might be worth it just for me as a as a robert downey jr fan just watching his story arc all the way from like shit like weird silent science and Charlie Chaplin back in the day, all the way to playing Tony Stark for the too many years as a decade to actually maybe going back to having a real film with gravitas and you know what I'm saying? Like importance, relevance, not outside of like a Marvel universe type of situation. Um, so 
I don't know, just the timing of it does feel right, like to come out with a movie like this. Also, maybe to help save the cinema industry, the box office actually going to the movies industry with these types of movies outside of stuff like what we'll talk about later, like The Flash or something real quick. So, I mean, how heavy is the, the timing of it in that aspect, you think? Yeah, man, I think it's it's right on time. Between that and Barbie, right? Like, you you got these right two. We didn't end up seeing Barbie like we wanted to last night. We had other things that came up. Um, I still want to see Barbie. I mean, that's the movie looks really good, really funny. Um, but the the fact is, is you know, I think I think movies go in cycles, and we've been on this cycle since Iron Man really came out, where we're getting more and more. It's studios don't want to take a chance on something that's not an original property. Nobody else, by the way, nobody else gets this movie made but Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan's the only name that could do... Hey, I want to make a three-hour biopic about the guy who created the atomic bomb. Really? And I don't want to use any special effects, so I'm going to blow a lot of stuff up, and it's going to cost a lot of money, and I'm going to have a whole lot of liability insurance, and it's going to be real expensive. All right. Blank check. <laughs> For Christopher Nolan, yes. Me, Tropic Thunder. Trop- yes, 100%. Nobody else makes that movie. Like... Think about the insanity. Your blockbuster of the year comes out in July, and your big blockbuster this year is a three-hour masterclass in filmmaking that is ultimately an indictment on the world and the direction we've gone about the guy who created the atomic bomb. It's insane. It sounds like a comedy bit. It sounds like the beginning, but it's real. And it came at the perfect time because this is not an entertaining movie. I will say that this is not a big action packed over the top entertaining. I've got all these characters. We're fighting stuff. You know, it's not that this is a talking move. This is all talk. This is all communication okay. and dialogue with that said, but it's one masterpiece. 10 out of 10, 10 out type of, 10. of movie. That's what I hear. It it's Any an critique. What's, what's the critique? Is it tough to get what where's the three hours? I mean, the three hours is tough. Um, my biggest critique was probably right before you hit the last hour, there's about a 25 minute segment that really slows the movie down. It really, it, it almost feels like it's coming to a dead halt and I'm sitting there going, where are we going with this? That's what I wanted to know. Where are we going with this? And then when it starts to ramp up, it makes a lot more sense. So my, my biggest nitpick is about that 25 minutes if if maybe there was a different way to shoot that or a different way to include it. But at the end of the movie, you understood why they did it the way they did. Why Nolan did it the way they did. That would be the only critique I would have, and that would be my smallest little nitpicking detail. I know that some people have complained that it's they feel it's too fast-paced. It's you're, you're moving through the stories too fast in the editing. And don't get me wrong, at the very beginning of the movie... You're jumping timelines a lot, and it takes a minute to get used to it. But the beautiful thing about that is that is Nolan going to studio execs and to audience members. Hey, the modern audience is intelligent enough to understand this. That's what I love about that. I don't need to handhold you. I don't need to do what Marvel does. I don't need to do what Star Wars does and handhold you through what we're going through. I'm just going to let you figure it out on you. And they do that. And the last time that I remember a movie really doing that well was actually a Star Wars movie. And it was Rogue One. 
Rogue One did a good job of not hand-holding you through the different planets where you're going. They, they just kind of let it play out. And that was a really... That's still been my favorite Star Wars movie of the last... Probably of these last few, if if I will. Besides the Mandalorian yeah, that's series. Fair. But, but that's Rogue fair. One. Um, but it's, it's this kind of experience that you just don't ever get now. And I think when it comes to timing, Todd, it's more crucial than ever that this movie be successful because what I'm seeing a lot of is the studios who are not willing to take a risk on big budget or even mid budget movies that we would have normally seen probably 15, 20 years ago. The, some of the best movies ever made or some of the best movies of all time. Me and Bob were actually talking about this the other night and he asked a really good question. And this reminds me of an interview that Christopher Nolan gave. He said, Hey, what happened in the mid two thousands comedies? What happened to the, to the, to the, the anchormans and the dodgeballs and the Talladega nights and what the stepbrothers and just like these really great comedies of the two thousands classic, classic yeah. comedies. And I started looking through the comedies of 2022, 2023, and they don't make them anymore. And then it reminded me, Nolan had an interview the other day where they said, Christopher Nolan, what's the movies that make you stop and put the remote down and finish that movie on the television? He goes, well, anything by Stanley Kubrick, I understand that Kubrick's a master filmmaker. I love Stanley Kubrick. And then he says Talladega Nights. And I was like, we won in the same Talladega Nights on. I'm stopping the movie, right? There. I got to watch Talladega Nights. It's right. I mean, Step Brothers is a classic that we've always gone back to always. just referencing, you know, the podcast in general and just in general in life. And actually, uh, it was, a, I don't know his name, but the guys from Workaholics with the short hair. He was talking about, you know, how comedies like that specifically don't exist anymore. If you even try to do a comedy nowadays like that, you got to mix it. It's got to be like an action comedy. Yeah. And it's kind of rotates back to the same reason why it's very difficult to make an Oppenheimer. It's just on a different spectrum. Like either it's going to be it, like everything has kind of melded into multiversal yeah. superhero kind of genre you know, corporate speaky kind of film. Like if you spend, cause, cause there's an investment, it's a $200 million, $250 million investment. You can't take a chance on just anything nowadays. But like you said, I think, I mean, and we'll talk about it briefly with, you know, Transformers, the flash, like other little stuff that we've seen, you know, where it's still some space for that. But even those movies, those are $200 million movies, right? They are, you know, so it is in a space like that where you even have those type of movies costing $200 million. It's hard to make a $40, $50 million movie where you just think it's going to actually, you know, recoup in this environment, Wait. which is sad. Like, but then you have movies like Terrifier that come out that they spent like $1,800 on. Yeah. And it's the most horrifying movie I ever saw, and it's kind of cult classic. And it's made so much money. Like, it's 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 ridiculous. But I'm telling you, man, I think if they started making movies again, like The Hurt Locker, where you spend... I think they, I think they need to, man. I think they yeah. have to. I mean, I, I really do. I mean, if you look at 2008, some of the biggest movies of that year were like Frost Nixon. That movie's captivating. That interview between David Frost and Richard Nixon played out in this in this way and it's just happy go lucky milk like i'm looking at all these slum dog millionaire there will be that's blood against the movie yeah right, there right. will be blood so good trans siberian that's a classic i mean all of these movies that 
they weren't huge movies, but people went and saw them because you hear from people like what studios don't understand, Todd, and I will say this from the beginning, and I've been saying this for a long time. Studios think audiences are just idiots. They they think the audience is just a moron. As a collective, right. they did they right. need they need to be spoon fed. They need to be given information. They need to be taken through movie. That is not the case. In nineteen eighty, well, aren't they and don't they? Oh, never mind. <laughs> I was going to say nineteen what eighty whatever. Blade Runner comes out. And Blade Runner is still talked about to this day. It was hated by audiences at the time, and then they released the final cut, and now it's become this cult classic. But all these movies that have come out over time, you talk about some of the biggest ones, they didn't spoon-feed people. The ones that are considered classics that people constantly go back to, constantly watch, they're not dumbed-down, action-packed movies all the time. Even Die Hard. Die Hard is an action movie, yes, but it is not a dumb action movie. It is extremely intelligent it's very witty it's a lot of fun but even then if you look at hans right hans gruber the main bad he's even a sentimental villain who you kind of understand and you get this complicated relationship between john mcclain and his wife and the and the office and the cop outside who's of course carl winslow and it's he's talking about shooting a kid and like it's a great movie but it's intelligently well, well done and, and well paced. To bring it back, though, because it's a legitimate question with the Oppenheimer, because based on some of the research I've done, haven't had a chance to see it yet, but yeah. trusting your opinion, you being my dog and kind of we having that synergy, uh, do you think this offers an opportunity kind of for a bit of a cinematic reset in light of the strikes, whatever was going on with Hollywood there and just in general, kind of maybe a little bit more of a shift back to, you know, a specific to American cinema itself. You yes. know what I'm saying? And being a, a bit direct, directionless in the past few years of kind of this ambiguous state that it's been in to where we had eras like 80s was like souped up like horrors and like steroids and shit like with, you know, yeah. on a Schwarzenegger, and, you know, fucking... Rambo, and then you got the 90s. You got 95 is kind of Tupac's area, but you get into 99, like we referenced earlier with The Matrix, and you get early 2000s where it's kind of a smorgasbord, and then it seems like over the past 10, 15, 10 years for sure, and then even leading, again, Vid era, a whole bunch of other stuff, it's just been all over the place of just basically Marvel multiverses, and that's yeah. the only thing we can sell, not only to ourselves, but the world. Is it a, is Oppenheimer like a an area where you think, okay, we got to... Because it's been other movies that's kind of had opportunities to kind of reset, but this one is a, a big, pro, like, one that could prove a point yeah. internationally to say, okay, we need to start putting out stuff with a message. Just definitive, yeah. No question. No question. I think this is the reset opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I think I think what this world misses is the water cooler movie. It's the water cooler television show. We don't really have the water cooler television show anymore. Like, people used to get around the water cooler and they talk about... Uh, you know, Seinfeld back in the 90s and then they would talk about friends and then you get to the point where they would talk about stuff like The Office, you know, or, you know, like, did you see what happened with Jim and Pam on The Office? And, like, they don't have those. And those those shows are considered classics, I think, in a lot of ways because of the, the effect they had culturally on bringing people together. And I think that this world kind of misses that, which is having those big event, big, big, must-see 
movies. Like for a long time, the, 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 the Oscars and these studios have been really out of touch with what people want or what people legitimately want to see. And they're not bringing in people at the same time. A lot of people are staying at home. This is a 1055 showing on a Saturday morning, Todd, for a three-hour biopic, and it was sold out. Right, right, right. 1055 on a Saturday, three-hour biopic about the guy who created the atomic bomb, and it was sold out. Like, tell me that's not a cultural moment and a shift to go, hey, maybe people are actually intelligent enough to understand some of this stuff like they well like we used to know they were in the 90s like did you leave there did you leave there with the idea where you know all these jokes about nuclear bombs and shit going off and playing around with it right now like how incredibly ignorant and retarded that would be or it's stupid yes since i can't say retarded anymore yeah to to, to answer your question how ignorant the retard okay (laughs) to how ignorant that all would be is it's 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 not understanding and understanding that you know these 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 things that people joke about and talk like it has real consequence in the world it's it, we've been disconnected so long and we live in a memeified society that's run by reddit and facebook and the internet and all that stuff and people are like oh dark humor save me dark humor save me yes dark humor has a point don't get me wrong but at the end of the day there is still real concern that these things have real consequences and there are real things that occur for them. After they 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 spent a brief moment Oppenheimer talking about the death count um, in 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 Japan after they dropped the bombs, and he goes, "Well, they thought they'd be okay, but over the next few days, uh, an additional fifty thousand people died because of the effects of the bomb." And then it, I'm flashing back to Grave of the Fireflies, it, which is such a classic anime movie. Uh, but I'm flashing back to the grave of the fireflies and remembering this story about these two children who survived the first blast, but ended up both dying because of the sickness afterward. You know what I mean? Like, and then it's remembering that this stuff is heavy and it's real and it's real life. We need our entertainment and we need our moments of levity to break free and to decompress, but it's still situationally. We need to be reminded of the weight of life. Is what I will say. Right. We need to be right. reminded of the weight of it. So good informative entertainment yes. for a uh, functioning or attempting to function democracy. Yes. Like maybe you can get the information out in this way. That's a good way to disseminate information in this, this world of ours, I think. Yeah. Right. When I told right. Bob it was a three hour movie, he's like, Good lord. He's like, I hope they put like subway surfers in the corner so people can pay attention. They do have titties in the movie though, right? Like it is they do. Uh, like it's, a, it's they do. Okay, so you got that you gotta give at least put titties in the movie or some sort if yes. it's gonna be three hours if I gotta sit through it. Yeah. Three hours. I don't give a damn if I mean and bombs. So you yeah. don't have a lot of have to have a lot of titties. You don't have to have a lot of bombs. You don't have to have titties or bombs. I mean, both of them, but you have to have one or the other. So as long as they have that, yeah, I got to support it, I guess. Well, and it's also got very, between the writing and direction of Nolan, the thing I'll say is that there's subtlety to every character. There's there's a subtlety. They're real people. And you're watching real people deal with real ramified th- ramifications of the things that they've done but at the same time 
not in an overdone, I'm going for an Oscar speech sort of way, like the King's speech or whatever. I never saw that movie, so I don't even know what it's about. But you know what I mean. It's it's it's, so not, it's not it's not as good as House of the Dragon is what you're telling me. It's not as good as House of the Dragon. <laughs> there you so, go. There you go. Uh, Adam H is in the chat. He says, what's up guys? He says, I want to see this movie in IMAX and even weeks out. The morning showing is pretty much sold out. The mall of Georgia is the only IMAX near me playing the 70 millimeter version. That's great. That's great to hear. Actually. Yes. That's great to hear. You know, right. That is great to hear. So, okay. Now I'm forced to go see it. Like it'll be next week. Most likely. Yeah. And then we might revisit our conversation. We don't definitely revisit the personal conversation on it for sure. Yeah, yeah, I can't I mean, wait to hear your thoughts on it for sure. Like it's it was so it's a revelatory movie and it for me it screams, "Hey guys, we don't want another Beetlejuice." Even though I kind of do, but in reality it's like I'm going to watch that at home Are you on sure? the TV. You, you may you may want another Beetlejuice after you see the flesh. Knowing you, maybe yeah. You might yeah. want you may want another Beetle just one more if they don't they don't fuck it up. You might want another Beetlejuice if, uh, <laughs> yeah, once you watch The Flash. But what I really want is I want this to result in more original, interesting filmmaking stories that aren't just Godzilla, Marvel, Star Wars. And I love all those things for what they are, but even I got burned out to the point where I'm like, I'm just going to wait for it to come on the TV. Like, uh, Right. I'll wait because it'll be here in a month, and I don't really care about seeing it in theaters. Oppenheimer is the first one that got my butt up out of the seat and said, "I need to go see this in theaters for opening weekend. Opening weekend, I need to go see this in theaters." First movie that's done that, and I'm just like, "That's what I want from the movies. I want if I'm going to see a story, I don't want to see a story that I already knows how to. I already know how it's going to play out." Even though well, Oppenheimer's I mean, Oppenheimer, a biopic, you kind of yeah, do. I mean, we yeah. knew we knew. were going to drop the bomb. Yeah. But it's at least interesting to that point. But it's but I want to see movies that have some thought behind them. Uh, that's generally. Um, Eric B says, hey, if you don't mind, can you talk about the bomb explosion? I'm curious about the special effects. Is it just an artsy type of explosion visuals, or is there an actual blast? Wondering because there's no the no CGI talk. Oh, it's an right, actual great blast. Question. Great question. It is an actual blast, and it is it is it is a moment in the film that sticks with me in a way. It it's imprinted on my mind because through the use of Nolan's subtlety, you completely understood the power of what they were looking at. You understood what that was, and it is it is probably a, I would say leading up to the blast, post-blast, it is probably a good 15-minute sequence in the movie itself, and it takes its time and it respects. That is Nolan respecting the power of it, going, this is what power is. This is, this is, this is the true power of, of what they had in their hands. And you're watching it, and you're looking at it, and it is captivating. It's amazing, and it's just all engrossing. It's one of the best things I've ever seen visually. visually. To take the opposite side of the question, too, it's something else that I saw. What about the visual effects? And because, from what I understand, it's a, like a quantum realm or the particle realm, and they use practical effects on both sides, on the explosion side and on that side. Like, what about those scenes to you? They have like 
the same type of effect, or is it that a total different I type of situation? Like when they went to color scenes of black and white. Yeah. So the 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 quantum elements that you're looking at are really more of when you're inside of Oppenheimer's mind, and you're kind of seeing how he sees the world, and what he's piecing together, and pretty early on, there's about a three and a half, four minute sequence of him thinking about quantum mechanics and quantum physics. And they, they go into this quote unquote, it's very mesmerizing. It's not as powerful or captivating, but it did make me go, how'd they do that? Like, how'd they, how did they do that? (laughs) Like I was thinking about it. It was like, how'd they do that? So it was some some movie magic on it. Yeah. On that side, but more of a, like the, the practical explosions. Yeah, the practical explosion was was, was was gorgeous. Like it was it was breathtaking and I will say no, I'm not going to talk about that cuz I want people to see it cuz the, the way they show the explosion for me, the way the explosion worked out was um it was it reminded me a lot of some of the stuff he did in Interstellar with music and no music and the way like that's where that's where a lot of a lot of people think that Nolan's power lies within the writing or the direction and stuff like that. What really in my mind where Nolan's power rises is in the editing process and the music selection and the choices of the use of music or no use of music. You know, like it's letting some of those moments play out because I just recently rewatched Interstellar. I guess to sort of get ready for Oppenheimer. I was like, I just love Interstellar. I love that movie. And I can't believe it's like almost 10 years old or it is 10 years old. And Interstellar for me is still one of the best sci-fi movies of the modern age. And there's a moment um, at a point where um, in Interstellar where the music completely cuts out and the moment is that much more powerful because of it. Hold on, wait. So I got (laughs) Adam wrote, so I just went online to look at tickets for Oppenheimer and IMAX and it put me in a four-minute queue due to high-volume traffic. Airbnb, of course. Yeah, that's, that's what we're here for. But, yeah. Uh, okay. I love it. So I love it. That's great to hear, though. That is great to hear. That's great to hear. Just as a, um, yeah, just as an overall fan of just the movie industry and kind of missing that feeling of being able to go and find a good movie where it's not just like I love and, and there's nobody that loves like superhero comic booky cheesy shit than, than me. And yeah. you know that like I, you, I've pretty much settled for damn near any of that slop that you feed me because it's just delicious. You know what I'm saying? But it's even for me, I'm extremely excited about going to see Oppenheimer, just the actors in it. And just, you know, we talk about it. I can watch just history and military stories on the History Channel all day. I again, I went down a rabbit hole just studying Oppenheimer and the history and how interesting mm-hmm. and the choices that were made and the reasons why and just the dichotomy of thought of okay, you know, Japan isn't going to surrender and is it really also just about saving American lives or is it also about just the fact that this is kind of unstoppable situation as far as history is like we got to have the bomb the power because if we don't get it the nazis may get it russia is gonna get it and it but it's funny how like it, i don't feel like it's a spoiler in the movie it's the history side of it russia was gonna get it anyway because we yeah. created it they stole it from us so i just look forward to seeing them package that with the christopher nolan you know i can imagine batman is somewhere pulling the strings in the movie somewhere secretly and it's actually action in the background while I listen to the great dialogue, but 
the fact that he was able to put I still can't get my head around uh, the fact that he was even able to put this out. And if it makes the money I think it's going to make, yes. Yeah, we're going to see a revolution. Dinner. It's I think we're going to see a turning point in modern the the theaters again because I I think it's it, it's it's like the idea of I put it like this it's like the idea of eating too much sugar right like I go wake up in the day and be like man I'm really craving some sugar and just like I'm gonna go get donuts for breakfast and then for lunch I'm gonna have you know ice cream and you know for dinner I'm gonna have birthday cake and whatever and it's like I'm just really craving sugar. And that's kind of what comic books, Star Wars, Marvel movies are. It's, it's kind of sugar for the brain. It's it's and it's enjoyable sometimes, and you need it sometimes. Sugar you can't live. You technically do need sugar. Not all this processed stuff, but it's part of foods. Most of the time, you want to get it from apples, or whatever. But if you eat too much of it, right, you're gonna get a stomach ache, and eventually your teeth are gonna fall out, and your brain. When they say sugar rots your brain, I, I really do think that. Like, I, th- I think sugar has chemical reactions in the brain. Like, you can't have it all the time. Like, it's, it's gotta... akin to the book of sugar, baby. We ain't got to talk about that yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah. We, we, yeah, Sonic yeah, would. <laughs> Sonic would. Sonic. Sonic yes. would. Oh, yeah. Adam says Interstellar. Adam says Interstellar is by far my favorite Nolan film. I, I, I'm with you. I, like, Interstellar ranks up there for me. I just rewatched it um, after seeing it in theaters, and it's. It's still probably one of the most captivating movies, sci-fi movies ever made. I think great it's up movie. There Killian was talking also. about it in the interview, and but see that goes to my point. I'm I'm Nolan for me probably is still the Dark Knight because I need that sugar. But uh, I love the Dark Knight. But no, but the Dark Knight, right, like, right. The Dark Knight's like getting sugar from an apple. Exactly. That's what that's great like. example. Yeah. Exactly. Some, you know, like actual real fruit, fruit, like a real blueberry of some sort, not, you know, just drinking a goddamn Kool-Aid yeah. poured up with nothing but sugar, just diabetes inducing. Diabetes. I need to rewatch. But, I need to watch Tenet, by the way. I still haven't seen Tenet. I need to watch. I still it. haven't seen Tenet either. See, that's another one. That's that's what. So that's I'm not I'm not going to sit here and be like, I've even seen every Christopher Nolan movie, but Oppenheimer, I definitely I don't know. I just feel like it's gonna have that butterfly rippling effect. Um, it moving is. forward, hopefully, man, we can put. That, I mean, for us to be on here talking about this, for you to come out of retirement for, uh, <laughs> come out of retirement. I'm 37. <laughs> we coming back to like we're getting back in a groove here. Right. It's, it's, right. Me too. Right. I'm, I'm here. Oh, Adam says Bear, so. If Bear I do the, and Mark McGuire. I do IMAX. The only seats available for any day I've looked are at the very front row. I would not watch this movie on the very front row, Adam. I'm just going to be real with you. Um, but, yeah, but we wanted to talk about Oppenheimer. We got a couple other things we want to talk about. Todd, I'm going to kick it over to you to talk a little bit about a little DC movie called The Flash. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to thank thank you for that because uh, uh, the bootleggery, just, just to get that out the way, um, the piratiness of it actually helps. So I'm gonna preface it with that, but no, nah, I mean it's been out for a while. It's been out for about a month, um, and for me, it's not the it's the exact opposite of what Oppenheimer represents. It's, it's the exact ending of kind of different kind of sugar rush for the DC DCEU or whatever universe, the Snyderverse, the yeah. the days long gone of Man of Steel. This is like the end of that. 
with Ezra Miller, who is just a controversial person that I really just cannot stand, like, because I'm a normal person to a degree. And most people can't stand just because he's going around here throwing, speaking of fruits. I don't know. I don't know what the hell he was throwing at some lady knocking her out, just being exceptionally weird and apparently on a lot of drugs that I don't I don't really jive with because it causes you to fuck with other people. Yeah. With all that said, yeah. I watched it. I watched it like one and a half times because I had to stop it. I had to wait for the significant other to come through because I wanted to watch it together. I've done you know, that I got a couple a times. Set up yeah. with it. Right. Because I because I had low expectations going into it. I think if you have reasonable to low expectations going in you understand that you are not getting apple sugar as you would say you are definitely closer to like booger sugar like or uh pixie sticks just pixie sticks, sticks right sugar, down you know the throat yeah right it, it actually was surprisingly really good as far as ezra miller's acting in it there was some emotional connections between him and his mother that surprisingly played out very well as far as just an actor is concerned I mean, I'm an 80s baby, so, you know, Michael Keaton nostalgia was there for his Batman 1989. You can't go wrong with the soundtrack. You can't go wrong with the introduction of that. You can't go wrong with the Batmobile. Wait, did, um, they, did, they, did they use the score or did they put in the prints? They, the, they man, you got to see it. So you, okay, so I'm going to see it. I'm going to see it. Yeah, see like it. The, as see soon it. as they play the score, you get excited. That 1989 but, uh, soundtrack by Prince is still one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. Yeah, yeah. There's no. I'll get that out the way. Don't get your hopes that high. They didn't have yeah, that yeah. kind of money. But yeah, they know, need a lot still, of money for that. Right, but it's still Batman. It's still Batman in there, yeah. and and he he kind of buoyed the film a little bit to me, because the one problem too, why I'm concerned about Oppenheimer with the Flash, is like a two and a half hour movie. You feel me? So like, it is a long movie. I did feel that it was long at a, at a certain point, but I could see how. And probably sometime it'll it could potentially have like cult classicness to it too. Fair. There's gonna be a group of people that connect with this movie unexpectedly uh, when it actually just fully comes out on video and people get a chance to watch it. That I think will be fine. I mean, there's an introductory weird scene with some babies where a lot of people will talk about like if you have a problem with the cringiness of the CGI in this movie in the first ten minutes, you probably won't like the movie. Because it'll be other aspects where just the CGI will be off-putting to you. If you can get over that, then you'll really like the movie. Yeah, it really almost simply boils down to it like that. As far as comic book fan movie, you know, person, and that's what I watch. That that's a big key to it. Because there's some really excellent CGI aspects to it, like with the speed verse is kind of okay. But when he goes into this little weird dome. And it shows like him going back in time that those are like the eye poppingly scarring like CGI moments where people will get upset and others won't give a fuck. Like me, I tended to not give a damn. It was just certain introductions to in the story that slowed down. And for me, that had to be when they introduced Superwoman, not because I have like some old misogynistic problem with Superman and Superwoman. I don't really care. I'm more of a Marvel fan anyway. I think she was excellent. Even though I don't know her name. I believe she's a Hispanic lady. She seemed really cool. But they could have done with or without her. Um, General Zod, I forget his name too, but he's a great actor. I think they could have used him a little bit more during those scenes. The fact that they didn't focus on him, it kind of threw the whole movie off a little bit at that point going into the last act, which to me really threw a lot of stuff off too because it's a time traveling 
multiversal yet again that's been done with like, Michael Loki, Shannon. Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon. I had Thank to think you. of his Sorry. name. He's this one of my favorite we, actors. Nah, brother, if yeah. they would have used Michael Shannon more, yeah. like they just use him as a fucking plot point. They might as well put a Muppet baby in that same part there and just had them blowing the fuck up. But you got Michael Shannon who has Gravitas is a real actor. He's probably yeah. one of the only ones that you have outside of Ezra carrying it, even though he was kind of annoying because there's two Ezra's in there. But I cannot take away from like his acting skill. Um, you know, but yeah, like the fact that they didn't use General Zod enough, they didn't use Henry Cavill. I don't know what kind of weird political stuff was going on with that. It was some weird CGI stuff. The third act almost can ruin the whole movie. For like, period, it could take a good movie and shit on it. But with between the nostalgia, some of the cameos, there is a weird. I gotta just get this out the way. George Clooney is in here. Fuck it, I'm spoiling it. Yeah, I heard about that. All right, I heard about that. Yeah, that's out there. Yeah, All right, that's it. out there. He's not my out favorite Batman, this, but he's. This yeah. isn't Oppenheimer, right? I don't, and what happened in those movies wasn't his fault. I don't think like nipple suit nah, Batman. Nah, you know what was, I mean? That but was it was the just, shoemaker it just, thing. It was. It undid what they did at the end of me undoes the whole point of the whole movie. So I was uh, like, I wrote it out. I was with it the whole time. And at the end, I was like, well, what the what the fucking point was of, of the whole movie in general? But if they get rid of Ezra Miller, I think it's a good swan song. I, I think I don't think it's a wasted movie in the DCEU universe. I honestly would say it's probably my second favorite movie behind Suicide Squad. I'm going to watch it this week, and next week I want to talk about it. Because I still haven't seen it. I still got to watch it. I still got to right, watch it. Right. Like, it, it's one of those movies that, like, it's interested me since the beginning. And, like, Adam points out how even Ezra's personal issues aside, I, I really don't. I don't like what he's done at all. I'm not going to. But, look, man, I grew up a, 70, a fan of 70s rock and roll. And if you grew up a fan of 70s rock and roll, you had to learn to separate art from artist. It just is what it is. Um, I mean, he's horrible. He's a horrible human being. Yeah, but he did. No, but, but he did do. But he, I heard he did, he did a, a good really job. Good, like, he he's did a good, a good actor. job. And he, he's a good no, actor. No, and he was a good flesh. And I had a lot of fun with the movie, too. I watch it again. Like. Seriously, it was some moments in the movie that give you the feels. And I mean, yeah. the emotional connection, I'm telling you, that's, I'm telling you, surprising. Like, as far as acting skills, those scenes with his mother actually were like, wow, okay, that's, he's a, he, he, you could see why they were trying to save the film with them. Now, my you know question to you, Todd, is, uh, so the DC Universe or whatever we're doing, like, it's had a rocky start since Batman vs. Superman. Damn it. It has had a rocky start since BVS, right? Do you think that bringing on, um, what's his name, to run the whole thing, the guy behind Suicide Squad and Guardians of the Galaxy. James Gunn? James Gunn. Do you think bringing James Gunn on, do you, do you think that this is the direction they need to go and he's going to be the answer to save the DC Universe? Because I like I'll James Gunn this. movies personally. I, I do. Me too. Me too. Guardians of the Galaxy three was great. Yeah. Um. But I've yeah, been no, on them since Tromeo and Juliet back in the day. So yeah, like right. like James Gunn. Right. I like like you're a real James Gunn fan. But I'm saying for for that specific question, okay, to tie it back to the Flash, I I I think it was a good decision for him to keep the Flash because you know they were going to try to can it due to all the drama. I think it was a good executive decision to put this movie out because it was a fun, good movie, and it's. 
in a line where I could see James Gunn taking DC uh, EU. I also think he stamped Beetlejuice, not Beetlejuice. I'll be uh, right back. What's it? I'll be right back. Okay. Hold on. You, you all right? Yeah, it's an emergency. Okay. Well, yeah. I guess uh, some there's probably something wrong with the the dog, man. But see, you can hear him in the background. But go. This gives me a point to go back with you, Adam. As far as your biggest beef with the whole General Zod thing is kind of played out. That's real. And I meant like even that finishing scene of the whole movie was kind of played out. I just think they could have used him as far as some dialogue in the movie at some point. Not just keep going back to him as far as like making him a um, point in the movie. Yeah, so uh you all right, man? You yeah, my wife going on? No, my wife was out in the backyard sunning, getting sun. And uh I accidentally locked her out. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I did that to my grandfather, the the military vet when I was five. He almost killed me so i'm imagining you about about dead so yeah not a flash i would definitely say like not inside the movies just to go you know quickly because we just wanted to touch on it real quick i didn't want to spend an hour talking about the flash but it's definitely something worth a watch a nice action-packed time you know whether it be really i would almost say you could wait for it to come out on a good streaming service like hbo max or some stuff and if you like must see at that point um if you really just are a fan you you can purchase it but i was glad to be able to see it for the the free you know what i'm saying um yeah I, yeah um no i'm i'm ready to see it and i'm i'm want to talk a little bit more about the flash because it's it's to me is like it was the one that i was most interested in you know like, like i said like it's, i it's really second, was outside of suicide squad outside of suicide squad um and it might even be more than that one it might. I just personally like Suicide Squad more than most. Uh, it might even be better than that one. It might. It might take number one if I watch it again. That's um, that's a good question. Did you see Adam's question in the chat? He said, "So with DC coming out and saying they have no plans on recasting Ezra as the Flash, do you think there's any way Ezra can have some type of redemption arc and revive his career?" Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If Robert Downey Jr. could, of yeah. course, of course he can, and he's a and he's a good actor. And I think he's a good flash. He just got to keep his head down. See, yes, yeah, I agree. I agree, Robert Downey Jr. But um, I mean, I think that yeah. if 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 people forgive, like, I mean, people forgive over time. Like Mel Gibson got forgiven, and he's back. A we little love bit. Re- we love redemption stories, we do. bro. We I'm, do. I'm a redemption story. We we love redemption stories. I just don't know if that motherfucker will do it. Like he seems like a really horrible person. That's kind of weird <laughs> and does strange shit. He's like, I'm rooting for him because he's a good flesh. He's like, I just want to drink the blood of of baby goats. And no, nah, I'm kidding. I don't know. That's not an accusation. I'm just saying, like, he's just kind of a strange dude. Uh, but yeah, I think he could probably have a redemption arc. Like, I mean, Hollywood loves that. The general audiences love it. People love to see people come back and be like, oh, they're they're good people again. Like. <laughs> I mean, that's just the real, that's that's how we are as humans. We love a good redemption story. Um, now, I'm going to watch it this week, and we're going to talk about it next week. I'm curious. If I could put a rating on it, I would give it a 6.7. Fair. That's fair. Tripping up to 7. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Good movie, fun. I watch it multiple times. Now, with that out the way, real yes. quick, because this is something we both got a chance to see. Yes. But I want to hear your quick perspective, because you, you also hit me up on this. Like, 
keeping in mind that somebody that I trust hated the movie, but uh, what what are your thoughts on the Transformers: Rise of the Beast? I know that'll be out soon I, too. On, I loved it. Out of the- I loved it. I did like. I'm just gonna be straight up. Like maybe I went in with no expectations. Maybe that's it. Like zero expectations. And this is coming from somebody who does not like the Michael Bay Transformers movies at all. I haven't liked any of them I've seen. I thought the first one, even though the first one's got like a seven on IMDb, even the first one with Shia LaBeouf, I was like, it's two and a half hours. It was boring. Like, I just found it boring. Like, I didn't, the action was overdone. And this one, for me, was the movies that probably should have started the series. <laughs> like, this is the way right. you do it. You're, you're back in the 90s. It's 1994. You've got a limited set of Transformers characters. There's not a hundred of them. Just filling the screen up. The action is clear cut. The direction of the movie's fun. The writing's fun. The human actors are actually interesting. I actually care about what's going on with them. Because to me, they were actually interesting people. But they're limited. They keep them down to two, two main actors um, for the human side of the story. Um, three, if you count the little brother, uh, but you know, overall and it's, it's, it's engaging, it's funny, it's entertaining, it's fast paced. It's got great action sequences. It's got my favorite transformer of all time. Unicron. Who doesn't love Unicron? He's, he's a planet. He's a transform. He's Galactus in the transformer world, but he's a planet. It's cool. Um, everything about it is what I wanted from a transformers movie when they first started making them. Like, is it amazing? Is it going to blow your socks off? No, it's not. But is it an entertaining... I watched it on a Sunday morning. It's an entertaining movie for a Sunday... You see what I'm saying? Like, it is sugar. It is pure sugar for the brain. Don't get me wrong. But the acting, the voice work, the CGI, the look of the characters being a mix between the Gen 1 and the Michael Bay Transformers... Like, the location in Peru. Like, everything about it. And the soundtrack. And it's probably got the greatest use to Mama Said Knock You Out I've seen in a movie in a long time. Like, it really does. It, it, right. it, it right. really does. Like, for me, it was it was fantastic. I mean, I gave it a three and a half because, yeah, the beginning of it's a little slow. And it, it's, it's a little bit kind of cheesy at times. And some of the humor doesn't always land. Although I appreciated it. Um... What got me was some of the very adult jokes that snuck their way in from Mirage because it's voiced by Pete Davidson. Like, he goes, like, the whole point with him and the brother talking, and he's like, how do you know my brother? He goes, well, I don't really know him, but he was inside me. Like, mind blown that that got snuck into the movie that nobody seemed to catch. Like, I was like. Right, right, Pete. Pete Davidson, he did a great job as Mirage, and that's a he did, he did a great point of highlighting it. And I think we were talking about it before, where at first I some felt some type of way about the in Transformers Iron Man suit, but then once I found, I was like, yeah, that was like yeah, they, they actually had thing. the toys. That was part of the story. That was canon. And then you know, at the very end, which I kind of don't want to spoil that part. Over, no, I don't over, want to spoil you know, the, the very right. Because I, cool I want that. I want that movie. I want that. Right, right. You know. So yeah, I wouldn't definitely say like it's the greatest thing of all time. It's, it's that sugar reference we keep getting back to, but it, it definitely was better than I expected. That's another one to go into. I think you go in with low expectations to reasonable expectations. You can have a really, really good time with it. Um, but 
It just seems like these movies are really long too. But anyway, I mean that's pretty much. I, I know uh, we got that. Uh, what you had? Uh, was there anything else you wanted to get in Transformers? Because I know it was another suggestion that you had that we wanted to get into before we wrap the whole Oppenheimer greatness up. Yeah. So Transformers, just real quick, I put it here. I, I gave it three and a half stars on that movie rating app. Lord, y'all can follow me on there if y'all want to. I don't remember the name of the app, but uh, Letterbox. Follow if they okay, all right. Letterbox. Follow what's the what's your so Letterbox and they're gonna look up look Uh, you up how on Letterbox Zero Bird Z E Zero spelt out Bird Z E R O B I R D yeah Zero Bird. Cool. So Transformers, I gave it a three and a half, and I said Rise of the Beast was surprisingly fun and excites me for a new generation of Transformers movies. That is more faithful to the '80s cartoon I remember. That's right. Perfect okay. summarization exactly. for me is right. Hundred percent. Like this is it. Um. So the last movie I want to talk about because Todd, I sense over time because we've been friends for a long time that you've started to drift more into horror movies. So I've been giving you some recommendations over time for horror movies. Now I know you were always into the '80s horror movies. But like modern horror movies, I've been giving you some recommendations, and I don't think I've I've drifted you wrong, um, for the most part. Not once, not once yet. So for me, the movie is called Pearl, and it's from last year, and it stars who I think is probably the greatest living actress of her generation, Mia Goth. I really think Mia Goth is an incredible actress. She's known in the horror community because there was these series of movies that Ty West is making. Um, it's a trilogy that all follows, it all stars Mia Goth. The first one was the movie X. The prequel to the movie X is called Pearl. And there's going to be a sequel to the movie X called Maxine. Pearl is a masterpiece in horror filmmaking. It is like, what if you took Wizard of Oz, but it all takes place in somebody's head and she just turns out to be a complete sociopath and psychotic and just absolutely kills everybody around her like that's what pearl is and it's it's beautiful like it's got that wizard of oz like there's musical sequences and bright lighting it's the stuff that you don't expect from a horror movie and that's what i loved about it is for the most part it's not somebody stalking somebody around in the dark a lot of the stuff occurs in very bright lighting and there's musical sequences And you really spend the entire movie with the killer, which is Pearl. And you get to know her and you get to kind of feel sorry for her. And then she goes off the deep end with the final shot of the movie being one of the best, like, summaries, I could say, for the entire mind that is Pearl. High recommend. I'm not going to spoil any of it. I highly recommend. You don't have to see X. X was the first movie. You don't have to see X to understand Pearl. You, You... it makes it a better movie, in my opinion. But what I would actually do is watch Pearl and then watch X. Because X is Pearl when she's like 80. So, it's 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 a great... Just watch it. Like Trust me, Mia Goth is just killing it out there. She's killing it in these streets. She was also in Infinity Pool, which I also think is a modern classic, but... That that movie's not for everybody. That sounds like a webcam stripper fucking horror story starring featuring Andrew Tate. 
Infinite pool? Infinity pool. No, it's a, oh infinity pool. Yeah, yeah like yeah. like an infinity pool. Like the, all of all of them, you yeah. know, show on Instagram. Like in an infinity pool in the high rise skyscraper. Infinity yeah. okay, pools. So are, infinity pools got Skarsgård in it. One of them. Uh, okay, okay, and he okay. he basically plays it. It asks the question of, hey, well, it doesn't really ask the question. It just it's 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 a uh, it's a thought process on the super wealthy being able to get away with whatever, whatever they want to, and especially in some of these third world countries is really what it is. It's you know, hey, they're gonna starring go. Oppenheimer. Starring. <laughs> third world country boy. Anyway, uh, it's a good movie. Too. <laughs> Infinity okay, Pool. Okay. I be All cautious right, so. about Infinity Pool. That's not a recommendation for me. I personally loved it, but it's a very like, it is a hard movie to digest, and it is a very artistically driven. And it's directed by Brandon Cronenberg, who's the son of David Cronenberg, who's one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. Um, that's not a recommendation, but if you're curious. If you want to know a little bit more, and this goes out to the audience, if you want to little know a little bit more about how my brain works, watch Infinity Pool and then realize that I think it is a modern classic. Uh, so that is, it's a little bit more about how my brain processes stuff. But that's all we got this week. Todd, was there anything you wanted to ask about Pearl or add to the nah, Transformers? No, man, I'm going to check it out. I'm going to check it out, and we can check it out, and it's just good. I, I was just glad to hear your perspective on Oppenheimer. As usual, I just wanted to shout out anybody checking this out, um, either through the podcast or on the YouTube. Adam, of course, triple STT, triple OG, you know what I'm saying? Much appreciated um, coming through, and uh, you know, much love to the tribe, much love to you. And I look forward to talking about some other stuff soon. You know, some gaming. I might put out World Tour, some yeah. World Tour gameplay on on the, on here. But I might be I might be on here a little later with some uh with some uh uh what's it called uh, Remnant Two. Remnant man, two. come on, man, and hey, man, please, man, Bob, show you know, get yes, some little old booty of Bob on, yo, Bob, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and of course. You know, STT Triple OG Aaron. You already know what time it is. Uh, Adam, excuse me. My I'm, I'm thinking he'll be around. Aaron will be around too. But uh, yeah, he will. Yeah, man. All right. That's well, all I got. That's it. And as we always do before we sign off, stay humble.